What's up, y'all? Happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode of the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast. This is our second episode for the year. Um, we're still in kind of like reflection mode. So today, uh, we thought we'd bring on our first ever guest and the most frequent um, return guest on our podcast, which is Devin Seegers. He's one of our best friends. Um, he's a super insightful thinker. And uh, he's a really great example of the kind of quality people that we like to have on this podcast and associate with in our lives. It's people who think outside the box, who want something different or better for themselves, whatever they you know, whatever they describe that as, whatever they decide that that is for themselves. Um, they're looking to take an alternate path and um, really create something of their own. On this episode of the podcast, we talk about failure. We talk about what it means to fail forward, um, how we can utilize our lack of understanding and humility as a tool to improve ourselves, to identify what we don't know in order to better understand how we can be better. And this takes an endless number of forms, um, but you can certainly attribute it to things like business and science, um, understanding of any topic, especially in the age of the internet when um, we all feel like we have to be the expert, like we have to have all of the Google searches that we've ever done memorized in our heads and uh, we talk about what it's like to approach a situation in um, any walk of life, starting with the statement, I might be wrong, but, and what that means is approaching any conversation, any discourse you're having with another human being, and immediately starting off by admitting or um, identifying that you're not the expert, and even the experts may not know Everything. All experts are subject to um, new information, to new evidence, to maybe uh, support support a contrarian view of what they understand to be true. This is super important, given the climate that we are in in America. Um, if you're listening from another country, um, how's the show? It can't be. It can't be. Uh, uninteresting to say the least living in the united states right now is uh exhausting and uh we want you to know that we know we suck <laughs> um but what we're having trouble with is identifying that we all suck and that it's not a subset of a uh society that sucks that's dragging us down but it's kind of a combination of everybody and the first thing that we should be doing in order to ail our heavily divided political climate is to lead every conversation with the phrase i might be wrong or the idea that you might be wrong but putting that first foot forward is a really powerful way to even the playing field and and keep everybody honest about their level of understanding of something. 
Listeners of this podcast can get 10% off a bag of all-day ADK. Go to upstatecoffeecollective.com slash shop and use the code podcast um, to get 10% off at checkout. And you can also save 10% uh, every single time you order by doing a subscription. We have four and six-week subscriptions, and uh, we're working on sweetening the pot a little bit, maybe doing free shipping or... um, I'm not 100% sure yet. Let us know what you think. Uh, Give us some feedback. We'd really like to hear from you. Uh, All right. Thanks for everything. And enjoy our conversation with Devin Seegers. Yeah. Do you think cults start when they have the hoodies or the followers? Because if so, I know a lot of cults out there with some really great merchandise. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, hit me up for some marketing tips. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. How are you guys this morning? I'm all right. I feel uh, I feel tired. Um, I feel strapped for like mental clarity, but I'm I'm doing all right. I got good coffee. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, let's oh, let's kick it off with that. Welcome back yeah. to the Coffee Collective Podcast. Returning guest Devin Seegers, who we love to talk to, have brought on for a very intentional purpose. Dev, what's in your mug? You guys are gonna hate me for this. Uh, my my sister Dunkin gave me donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. My sister gave me Dunkin' Donuts, and <laughs> we do and it. I realized I needed to have some coffee this morning. So my first was- cup was some Costa Rican beans that my dad mm-hmm. brewed. And um, this one is just standard Duncan. So you can roast me. You can roast me. Funny that you said Duncan and I knew it was Duncan as soon as you said you're going to hate me. Because whenever anyone says you're going to hate me, it's not Stewart's. It's not Starbucks. It's not Pete's. It's not (laughs) Seattle's best. It's Duncan. (laughs) We all know it's bad, but we we do it anyways. You're getting your caffeine. Is it a flavored Duncan? No, it's just just classic, classic Dunkin'. Oh, that classic. Okay, what does it taste like? Because it's really just as basic as coffee can get. Don't I don't know why you guys have me on here. I can't. I can't. I don't have the refined palates that you have. No, that's the point. Though, Few people right? do, Devin. Few people do. Uh, <laughs> we're just a couple of schmucks talking about uh, talking about a plant's a plant's seeds. Um, but like you started off the morning. With like, ostensibly a a pretty good coffee, at least a single origin, right? Um, If you had to say anything about that one versus this one, what what is something that really stands out to you? It could be anything. Okay, so one of the big things that I taste in coffee is just the the density of the coffee. Totally. Like, okay, this is a way stronger brew. So I have a hard time comparing... So you're 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 telling me the Dunkin' that you're drinking right now is denser. It's like uh, it's got like a heavier body. I just want to hear about you guys. What you have in your mug, buddy? Uh, I, I'm drinking uh, Das Fritkick. To to be honest, like I'm I'm currently kind of a little bit in a slump when it comes to coffee. I'm having a hard time moving up 
to the next, I don't know, what, whatever that next level is for understanding coffee um, from a palate perspective. So, um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kevin, Matt, what, what do you think? This is a question for each of you. You can answer individually. What do you think is the, um, what do you think would be the best way? Just like off intuition, no wrong answers. Shot in the dark. What do you think would be the best way to train your palate when it comes to drinking coffee? From where you're at moving forward, even if it's just a baby step. Um. All right, I'll go first. Uh. <laughs> I think, uh, I think a big part of that would be um, uh, identifying notes via uh, eating the f- eating the the thing that that flavors remind you of. So, as an example, um, if you have a hard time identifying certain flavors in anything, but let's talk coffee. Uh, Maybe you want to be able to better understand what nuttiness tastes like. So you should go try a bunch of different nuts, you know, and then go back to a coffee that is um, hypothetically a nutty coffee and figure out why, what is it in your brain that, that takes you from that, from that sensation to a memory of a, of, of a nut, let's say. So it's like eating the thing or if it's juicy fruits, like go try different fruits. If you've got some coffee guy who's saying like this, you know, this coffee tastes like kiwi, but you've never had a kiwi before. You don't have any relationship to that flavor note. So, Mm. Dev, what do you think is the the next step for you as far as parsing the particularities of uh, coffee as far as the flavor wheel is concerned? That was really interesting. Yeah, I came up with my mind went a completely different direction. Um, the first thing I thought of was like, I need more standardization. <laughs> there needs to be a little bit. Well, just because like I can make a copy and uh, most of the times I don't measure. Most of the times it's not a perfect science. So what I was thinking was it would be really cool. Okay, one more thing. My The other visual that came up was when you go to a brewery and you get a flight of beer beers and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. this is from lightest to darkest and you can taste them side by side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking it could be really cool if there was something that we could do in real time, but digitally where it was like, okay, there's this much coffee to this much water. We brew them all the same way, but there are different coffees and kind of go mm-hmm. through each one as we would have in person. Yep. A tasting. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Glad there's a name for that. Well, Comparison. I mean, there, yeah, there are there are cuppings where mm-hmm. you're looking for defects. So cupping is like, you know, you're you're specifically trying the coffee five times and you're trying like and you're you're looking for defects in the coffee itself. And then there's tasting, right? And tasting would be more so you can use the cupping technique, you can use the special cupping cups and spoons that we have, but you're you're looking for what you like out of it. You're looking to actually like focus in on those flavors, and that's more that's more palate training for what you would prefer. Whereas cupping is more palate training for what you're not looking for in coffee. Palate um, training, I love it. Yeah, dude, pa- ooh, palate training is that's it's one of my favorite things in the entire world. You know, having my brother who loves to cook, having me loving coffee. <laughs> Like coming from a family where flavor kind of, you know, uh, 
delegates a lot of our interactions. I think that's a it's a really good thing. Um, I like that your answers were opposite. I like that Devin went for standardization and Matt went for finding a little bit of variability but relating it to another substance. Like th those are both really good steps and they can actually be integrated because what you can do is once you once you have that set standardization, once you're measuring your coffee, which is a huge thing a lot of people don't do. Um, once you're measuring your coffee, you can bring in flavors that match the coffee tasting notes on the bag and see if those in your mind when you're tasting it match up because your taste buds are different from the roaster you know mm -hmm. so you might even be finding different tastes i specifically so matt's drinking the fruitcake i told matt loyacono like there's a drunken raisin note on it like a rum raisin um and i said i'm not getting rum and raisin but i am getting vanilla there's a little bit of raisin, but it's more like a date. And he was like, exactly. But when it comes to selling selling a bag of coffee, when it comes to marketing coffee, you have to you have to put on the bag like what people want. You know, you have to you have to think like you almost mm -hmm. have to like guess what people would want. There's almost like a, like a dartboard <clears throat> of like you're trying to hit that bullseye of what's going to make someone pick up the bag and go, this flavor's in it. This is what I'm looking for. That's what I want to look for. Okay, cool. I'm going to bring it home and try to bring yes. that up. A lot of it is marketing, right? So you end up having like sometimes weird flavors, but some of them are pretty spot on. Like one weird flavor that gets criticized a lot is limeade. And limeade exists in coffee naturally as a flavor. Like that lime style citrus exists in coffee. But let's, so let's back up a little bit. And when you're, when you're talking about um, identifying quality or identifying, you know, kind of like uh, attributes of uh, anything, whether it's tea, wine, coffee, um, there, there tends to be a little bit of that, um, you know, pomp and circumstance about it where people go like, oh, yeah, you know, the coffee guys want to talk about what they taste in coffee. Um, you know, but I think if you look at it from a quality perspective, it is super important to be able to tell the difference between different coffees or teas or whatever you're tasting. So, Devin, I think your, your answer I think I like your answer better than my own. I I could go to the grocery store and pick up a bunch of like exotic fruits and and nuts and whatever and try to relate them to things and like that's a little bit of sharpening the pencil that I think anybody who's like aspiring to be more of an astute like coffee taster can do, but the standard the standardization is so important um, and we forget that. And for me personally, I don't think I spend enough time looking for that standardization and then doing a comparative cupping, let's say, where I put three, four, five coffees next to each other, ranging from light coffees, you know, light roasted coffees, dark roasted coffees, coffees from different um, processing methods or origins. There's a lot of variability. And a lot of complexity and it could be super overwhelming, but I think the best thing that anybody can do if you have time and extra coffee, uh, you could certainly brew up a couple of different coffees side by side, wait for them to kind of cool to the same level and then drink them all next to each other and go like, oh, I get it. These are very, like very different coffees. And let me try to try to piece out why. Yeah. 
No, like I'd like I've, to do that more. I, I think as from where I'm coming from, uh, at least my perspective when it comes to what I could intuitively do to taste more in my coffee, I think I need to do a little bit of both. Um, and I need standardization in the way of I need to brew a coffee two ways and then I need the flavor comparison at the same time. I, I almost need to like double up on that at this point because a lot of times I find myself tasting coffee and finding the similarities from that coffee to the last one that I tasted because very recently, well, you know, not this week recently, but like very recently I've been finding myself drinking coffee, moving on the next day to another coffee. And instead of having like that long term, this is the coffee that I'm drinking over the course of like a week, two weeks, I'm, I'm just drinking um, like coffee and then another coffee because I'm interested and then another coffee because I'm interested. And the responsible thing for me to do would be to step back and say, okay, what's the variability I can add to my process? 100%. Um, just to round out the what's in your mug, I have my nice new Chemex mug. Love that. It's beautiful. Oh, dude, this thing this is extra <laughs> zesty. As soon as I poured coffee in it, I was like, yo, this is dope. I love what's going on. Why is it not? Oh, okay. I'm in the line. Uh, as soon as I poured coffee in this thing, I was like, this is amazing. Cause I'm always taking coffee in that little test tube that I have and like holding it up to the light and kind of looking at it. And it's super arbitrary. Um, it's not anything that's particularly like, I'm not getting a ton out of doing that, but I love doing it. And I know that someday well, I'm going to have enough of a knowledge base. Like there's going to be enough of a language mapping up there that I'm going to be able to like hold coffee up to the light. And like, there's going to be factors that play into that other than just TDS. We have a lot of catching up to do because I don't get to see as much as you know, I'd like to. Um, so I, I want to, I want to back up and I want to, first of all, just ask you, uh, who are you? How are you? And what do you do? Who am I? My name is Devin Seegers. Uh, we've been friends for a while. Really grateful for that. How am I? Fantastic. Slightly caffeinated and um, bewildered by the extent of coffee tastings. And um, what do I do? I like to solve problems in different ways. And um, that comes down to making music. I've been in marketing a little bit and uh, now kind of into digital experience product creation. So that's what I'm working on now. Mm. Um, Dev, I, I, I will say um, this, is your, this is your third time on our podcast. You were not only our first guest, but uh, we followed up with you kind of like midway through the summer and now we're back because... Um, you're an endlessly interesting person to me and to Kevin and all of our, uh, to all of our listeners. And you, you often ask, you know, well, what, you know, what, what am I, what are we going to talk about? Cause I'm not a big coffee guy, but like this podcast is, um, this podcast is special to me and hopefully special to, to other people that listen, because it's not just like a, a, a coffee nerd podcast. It's kind of a, a collection of conversations with really interesting creative people think that think outside the box and are willing to kind of put um, 
put normal aside to uh, to attempt to try something different and create something for themselves and you fit all of those billets so uh, i want you to know that you are freaking valued and i love you yep and i want to hug you when it is socially acceptable again <laughs> yeah uh yeah dev let me add to that um when we were talking about first guest for 2021 i immediately like i had I had five names in my head, but like the number one was you because one, you were a first guest last year. We started off this podcast talking about gratitude, right? Mm, yeah. And then we came back and we talked about meds. And that actually, that episode probably got some of the best feedback we've gotten because you talked about some things that were very intuitive that people aren't conditioned to think about, mm. which I think is great. And that's probably the best part about your perspective is you focus in on those concepts like meds was it was new to me i didn't even know that and i was just like whoa that's really cool and it's actually it's led some conversations i've had coming into 2021 i've i've talked with other people um you know our our good friend matthew loicono my friend bryce snyder uh you know even andrew from idola and like some other people that i'm in pretty regular contact with we'll talk about meds now we'll yeah. be like well how are your meds you know, I think that's and, awesome. I mean, it's such a big issue. Like, if we're going to really talk about things that matter, yeah, which is the only thing that I really care about talking about. The essential like, we matter. Have, we have some, yeah, and we have some big yeah. issues around, uh, yeah, around all of those things not being talked about. And it's not yes. that we don't know them. It's not that they're like everyone gets it fundamentally, but it's like sometimes you just need a reminder. Yes. Okay. We're not on the live anymore. And I came preloaded with this because I knew it was the perfect conversation for us to have in the beginning of 2021. I knew it was the perfect conversation for Devin Seegers to tackle. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you guys with a really heavy question that has a super complex answer. It, it has a multitude of answers. It and cannot I, get harder of uh, than who are you? What do you do? How, how are you? What do you do? <laughs> that is yeah, still, I, my, okay. that's still my most challenging question that I've reached to. <laughs> Dude. I'll, I'll sh when we get through that, as we're going through this, I'll share uh, what for me was a tough question this week. Matt, you heard me struggling to answer it earlier this yes. week. Um, why are we as individuals, as a group, as a culture, as an identified clique, any any category of human organization that you can put on us? Why are we afraid of? and uncomfortable with talking about failure. We're not on the live anymore. If you need to, take a couple moments, process that. Mm. Because I've been thinking about it since it popped into my head yesterday when I was on my way home from Matt's house. And I was just like, this is exactly what I want to talk to about in the beginning of 2021. Just, just to preface this, the the there are so many things in the world that really brought up this question, but the biggest one and the, the area that the one area that we don't have to bring this conversation into is a lot of people have been supporting a person of high priority in American government who has consistently failed and they are afraid to talk about and uncomfortable with talking about that failure at that level. And I think that that starts on a smaller level. So that's what I want to tackle here. That's why I wanted to phrase it that way. Why are we afraid of talking about? Why are we uncomfortable with talking about failure? Why? And like I said, multitude of answers, no wrong answers to that, really.
Man, the first thing that comes up is just the song Belief by John Mayer. I feel like those lyrics nail it to a T in the most poetic way hey, possible. Belief is a beautiful armor that makes for the heaviest sword. Like punching underwater. You never know. You never can hit who you're trying for. Some Did you just look it up, dude? No, I just know it. Well, Some what know puts 100,000 children in the sand? Belief can. Belief can. What puts the whole the folded flag inside the mother's hand? Belief can. Belief can. And it's like we're so we hold on to our beliefs so strongly and it's it's scary to go like, well, this is something that I believed at one point that is no longer true. So can I look at that belief and go, okay. At one point, with given what I knew and my life experience and, and everything that I knew, that was my belief. And now that has morphed, given a new and given me a new understanding. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to to shift our belief systems. Mm. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the the word that popped in into my head within the first three to five seconds of thinking about this is ego. Um, but it's the philosophical ego. It's the uh, it's the self identity um, and the uh, interpretation of one's own reality. So. What what I'm getting at is, um, <clears throat> and and kind of piggybacking off of your answer, Devin, belief and uh, belief is is an interpretation or an acceptance of one's own reality, a perception of one's own reality that that one calls true. And what I have what I have encountered, and we've all encountered it, is. Uh, in this divisive political atmosphere where we we are battling disinformation so we're legitimately living um in in separate realities from one another especially if you're like if you're super um if you're like ripped off to the extreme on either side looking at the other side looks ridiculous right uh and i think one reason that we have a really hard time struggling with the with uh, addressing failure um whether it's failure to act failure to understand um is because the most the questioning somebody's ego right questioning somebody's belief system is the most is is the most psychologically violent thing that you can do um and I don't mean that in uh, questioning somebody's beliefs is you being violent to them, but it is perceived by the other party as violent from a psychological standpoint because you are le- you are ripping them away from a a, le- a reality, right? You are ripping them away from a reality that they think uh, is true. And when we hold on to something that we know is true, that is like the most comforting thing that we have that is our ego that is um that is our reality so if you say hey everything that you think is wrong the response to that from a psychological standpoint is violent um mm-hmm. i think it, to to phrase to get at what you might be trying to phrase is it surpasses most people's threshold of psychological vulnerability that's yeah, like, a great word right there. The other thing that came to mind right away was shame and vulnerability and the, the work that Brene Brown does. It takes courage. Those things are scary. Explain that work for our listeners. Okay, I think the best little snippet is that 
she basically says she steps up in front of this group of active service members and goes, um, you know, is there, we're talking about vulnerability here. And um, it's the time of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Mm -hmm. And she was asking, is there a time, can you have vulnerability without courage? And there Mm -hmm. was this silence. And with that definition of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure, after a little bit, the crowd one one person raises their hand and just says, you know, after many tours, there is no vulnerability without courage. Mm-hmm. Like to be able to expose yourself and have that emotional exposure and saying, hey, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but this is the best I've got. And I'm going to be yep. courageous and, and put it out there. That's an, an incredible act of courage and emotional exposure. And, and it's scary. And the first words of that are the most courageous and they address failure immediately i could be wrong i could be wrong four simple words that people don't preface things with why do we not do that why are we afraid to say i could be wrong however here's my thought we just say the thought and present it as proper information rather than saying, I could be wrong, mm. however, blank. We Given don't what I know now, this is what I believe. Okay, yeah. we are in this society that we're in this like expert society where everyone is expected to be this expert. Yes. And, mm. and saying like, I could be wrong about this is not really in the current conversation. Mm-hmm. People are, are supposed to get up there, share why they're the expert, share why they're, they're the authority, and people should be listening to them. Yes. And I don't know if it gives you more or less credibility by going, hey, I could be wrong about this. To me, it gives, it gives more credibility because I see that it's vulnerable and that someone's actually being real and they're not just talking and blowing hot air. But I think to a lot of people, and if, uh, you know, those people are also trained by, you know, mm-hmm. if you watch a TED Talk, those things are practiced. Those things are rehearsed. Uh, if you watch mm-hmm. public speakers, those things are coached. They have people behind them saying, this is the framework. First, you need to, you know, say a bold statement and back it up and raise the stakes and then mm-hmm. and then tell a little story, then teach a little. And, you know, there's a mm-hmm. framework for all of these things, but they don't tell you to just be real and say, hey, guys, I could be wrong, but this is my current perspective. Yes. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's really well said. I, (laughs) I living in the internet age where we have, you know, potentially, uh, an answer at our fingertips at all times. You're right. It's not like in the current lexicon to say, I could be wrong, you know, to, to preface what you know, um, or what you think, you know, with with something like I could be wrong it's tough for people because we're, yeah we're, we're kind of now used to going like oh if I don't know an answer like I'll just type the question into Google and the first thing that pops up is probably right and that's that's definitely not the way to think about it but I'm you know for it's funny like for for things that we can all kind of agree on like you know uh you know how old is George W. Bush you just type in how old is George W. Bush. We have his birthday, and somewhere in Google did Google did the the calculation, and he is you know fifty nine point five years old or however old he is. Yeah. But for like deeper questions that require 
you know, ongoing research, uh, constant questioning, um, and rechecking, and uh, I, I think, uh, and peer reviewing, I you can't just Google that. And some people try to do that, and you'll get opinionated articles and disinformation in that. And we, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We have a hard time saying... Well, I could be wrong, but from like the very little research I've done, this is kind of the idea that I have. But like, I could definitely be wrong. I think everybody should be thinking that way and acting that way. But we're not because we live, like I said, in that internet age where we just type it into Google and Google gives us an answer. <laughs> and that's not always right. Well, not the only side that. of this is that we don't really have conversations. The, the quality of conversation has been robbed by our digital platforms. So exactly. saying... Okay, like, I, here's a framework that I think is pretty cool. If you started everything by saying, like, I could be wrong, but here's my current understanding. Mm -hmm. You share what you currently understand, and then I think this is the, the key of going, what am I missing? Mm -hmm. And it opens up a conversation, but we don't, we're not really trying to have conversations. Like, everyone posting their opinion on YouTube or Instagram or these kinds of things are just saying, hey, here's what I think. Mm -hmm. They're not going, Instead hey, of here's, here's what, what I, I know. Can you fill it in? Like, let's actually have a, a mm -hmm. dialogue. Yeah, I there. So, a word that you used um, when you're talking about TED Talk was uh, you used practiced. The behavior is practiced. We, from from my observation, um, there's not a lot of conditioning when it comes to addressing failure. When it comes to seeing failure as a stepping stool rather than an end point, um, there's not a lot of practice in assessing vulnerability and as as the address the addresser of failure itself. Um, and so we don't it, it, we there aren't a lot of opportunities from where I stand looking around for people to be conditioning the ability to assess and address failure in a real active timeline for themselves. They can, do, you can point it out everywhere else in the world, but even the, the stories that we tell ourselves, like the, this mythos that we create around the world that we want to perceive. Um, one of my favorite examples that I used in the past 24 hours while I was kind of like ruminating this and talking with some people, I was talking with my friend this morning over breakfast. Um, and I, I said, you know, everybody tells the story about J.K. Rowling going to 19 publishers and eventually getting her book deal. The point that they're bringing across to you is that she got a book deal, not that she failed 19 times. Because there's yeah. there's a painful process there. There's a learning process there. There's something, the, 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 the failure there is what honed that. And there's... There, when I hear people speak because I love language, I hear what you say and I hear what you don't say. And I hear the five different words that you didn't use that are synonyms for the word that you did use. And I hear the 25 different ways that you didn't say the sentence. And no one focuses when they tell that JK Rowling story on failure being the stepping stone, being, you know, the, the honing of her own blade so or her own pencil you know her own sharpening to get forward to that next point to get to that next one and maybe fail a little bit less and then a little bit less and then eventually succeed they don't they focus on the success part and they say so keep going but that's a very like in my opinion it's a very brusque way to kind of just like usher in the idea of success rather than focusing on hey jk rowling <clears throat> failed 19 times and not having an end to that statement, saying she failed 19 times and she learned from that failure, which Absolutely. I think is I mean, the important part. 
Absolutely. This is not something that's original by any means, but this is something that you hear a lot in startup culture that there is that failure is just feedback. Failure is just mm. feedback. There um, it is. So it, it, it's a different, it's, there are two different, totally different things, whether you identify as the person as the failure or the success or like mm-hmm. myself as a, as a failure of failure or success based on, you know, what I may or may not have done or whether I set my sights on an aim and that was, I either hit the target or I didn't, um, or yeah. whether JK Rowling either hit the target or she didn't, or how many times it took her to hit the target. Um, but it's just this this thought of like failing forward and failure. There is no failure. There's just feedback. And then the one thing I, I do want to share is this cool little saying. It's probably really cheesy, but I heard it this week, and um, and it stuck. And it's just our our uh, our setbacks, our setups for comebacks. Perfect. Love, Love that. that. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by your friends at Upstate Coffee Collective and our local community. We've decided that in 2021, we're going to do things differently. We want to be intentional with our ad roll, either letting you know about something we feel very strongly about or nothing at all. Starting now, our podcast will be completely unmonetized. We will not be taking any money from advertisers unless it is something that we truly, truly believe in. And right now, we don't see uh, any opportunities like that. So we're going to keep this podcast completely unmonetized. Now, we will take a moment each week to plug whatever it is we at The Collective are working on behind the scenes, but we want to ensure that we stay true to our values and that we continue to serve as a hub for our community to listen along as we make valuable human connections and learn to become better listeners and better storytellers. If you love this podcast and you want to see it grow, consider leaving a positive rating or a review uh, and be sure you're subscribed so that you're notified of each new episode that comes out every Monday morning. Listeners of this podcast get a unique discount code that saves 10% off our first and only flagship coffee all day ADK, which we're super proud of. And we want you to have the opportunity to share in that with us. So Uh, If you use the code podcast at checkout, you'll save 10% off of your entire purchase. And we super appreciate you and we love you. And thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Can I make an observation? Yes. This has been... um, on my mind, I mean, the last, especially the last four years, not to get political, but like in this, in this like age of um, questioning and doubting scientists over the demagogues, <laughs> I think part part of this part of this culture of not being able to own up to not fully understanding something or being in the process of figuring something out. Uh, Part of the reason that this is such a pervasive problem is because uh, in science, failure is a success. And what I mean by that is um, one group of scientists does a study, they get a certain uh, a certain set of results, and the job of the rest of the scientific community is to replicate those results in order to further strengthen that theory failing to failing to uh, obtain those same results 
is just as positive, like you said, it's feedback. It's just as positive of, of a set of information as replicating those results because it's saying, I did the same thing in my laboratory. I did not get that result. That's telling us more about the world. That's how science works. That is the scientific method. But in our culture of uh, look on the internet and immediately go to whatever whatever resource you think is the most valuable resource, you get that answer and that is the answer forever with no exceptions and, and no debunking. Um, that's the big problem is like, for example, uh, throughout this uh, throughout this pandemic, we were <laughs> we are all we all started off in the exact same page. Joe Schmo, who has a who 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 dropped out of high school, was on the same page as Dr. Anthony Fauci when it came to this pandemic for this coronavirus. Nobody knew anything about it, and the job of scientists was to say. We're going to continue to take all the data that we get. We're going to analyze it. We're going to come to some to some conclusions. And we're going to find out as we get more data that those conclusions actually weren't always correct. That, it, you know, it doesn't it doesn't spread this way. It spreads that way. We thought you should do this. Now we think you should do that. So people go, they keep changing their story. I don't really know about this because that's how science works. Yes. Um, yeah. That's, that's let me continually getting new that. feedback and yeah. okay, here's what I know now, given mm -hmm. what I, given the information that we have. No scientist rested on their laurels and said, nope, I looked at this in March and that's what I'm sticking with. That's not how science works. Ultimately, like, like let me let me add on to what you're saying there. Like we this the thing that like the reason I'm asking this question today pre-scientific method let me i'll paraphrase lao tzu who's you know this is bc china he said the only loss is when you don't learn from a loss that's the only true loss is not learning from a loss and he's speaking about warfare and and you know like losing in life but that he's talking of failure the only true failure is not being able to accept failure and therefore not learning from it and moving forward but here we are and we're we're in, you know, we're 2000 years past BC now, and we're still asking this question. Why are we afraid of failure? Why are we uncomfortable talking about it? Can I bring the, okay. Thank you for bringing us back to some, some time tested wisdom. Mm -hmm. We're also talking about something much more nuanced here, which is how do you define failure? How do you define success? Uh -huh. And we're not even talking about things that are easily quantifiable. Like, say, in the, the scientific method or, um, you know, whether it be in science or business or like, where you have numbers, you can go, well, this was a success because of we hit our, our number or we, we the experiment validated our, our hypothesis. Mm -hmm. We're talking about values <laughs> and and we're we're defining our success or failure based on our values, which are much more nuanced, which a lot of people don't understand, which I'll admit, like, I don't fully understand. I don't feel like I fully understand anything. But, um, but I mean, the process of understanding. And when we look at someone and go, well, are they a success or failure? You know, you talked about our administration. Well, based on what? Because if you're, you know, I'm in this interesting position in between like artists and business people. And there are a lot of people that are are morally grounded in um, equality, <laughs> freedom, and and peace, and all, 
those are wonderful things, but those are very different than how much am I being taxed at the end of the quarter? Mm -hmm. So in one way, you could look at, at the legislation that's gone through and gone, that was a success if you're looking at it purely for your business. But, but morally, people are looking at it and going, this is the most ridiculous failure I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So how do you define success is, I think, the, the real question. Mm-hmm. And that, that, like you're saying, it comes back to your values. So I, I guess really to move forward with this question and continue this conversation, how, how do we instill our, a value that allows us to accept not only accept, but to utilize failure as a construct for self-improvement, for group improvement, for human improvement. Hmm. How do we make humility part of our, of our like societal value? Yeah. Yeah. It has to be. That's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) I think it starts with being taught. I think it, it starts with being valued instead of valuing always being right. I think we have to value humility, and um, I I want to say there's a there's a certain amount of cultural change where you <laughs> uh, I, I love the guy, but like people like Gary Vee, who like you were saying, Devin will just like make a bold statement and just be like, and then try and back it up and 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 tell us like we, we have to. Uh, we're we're gonna always aspire at to and look up to people who act as leaders, who know more, who are acting as the experts. But we have to all like collectively agree that being the expert uh, requires being humble and assuming, even as the expert, that you don't know everything. You can have really great assumptions. You can have really great, you know, learned experiences and you can, you know, uh, you can believe that you are fairly knowledgeable on something, but always having the ability to to, uh, be open to criticism and feedback. uh, I think, yeah, I think it's a cultural thing that needs to be taught. We can't be, we can't aspire to be the expert. We're not all experts. Because you're an expert at one thing. Right. Yes. Yeah. Expert means you're going narrow, that you've failed a lot of times and gotten feedback a lot of time in one specific area. So you can't possibly be the expert of everything. Yes. 100%. Yeah. I. So to bring this back from where to, to now that we've kind of like um, ruminated on this a little bit in, in discourse um, and, and also to add on what, to what you said, uh, expertise is not infallible. Right. Yes. That's 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 really like that's the crux of that point. It's like expertise is not infallibility. Um, so Julianne Vaccaro, the reason that this question came up is she she mentioned a particular failing point of the spiritual community, which mm-hmm. is something that I have the utmost interest in, regardless of my level of participation, which varies depending on how I'm feeling. Um but the the spiritual community in general, and she's speaking more of like the spiritual community, like people who are, you know, uh, coaches, healers, you know, people who might label themselves as gurus, what have you. Um, she said, 
one of their failing points is presenting themselves as if they have everything together, even if they don't. And she she came from a very personal place with that. And she she described it as a quantum leap, which I loved because she's she she said, when I do work by myself, when I meditate, when I go internal and I sit down and I'm doing that self work, which is what we think we have to do as a society. We're very individualized. We think that we and I'm guilty of this, like I'm infinitely guilty of this. I think that I have to take myself and put myself in a little box and sit down with myself and think about myself and work on it and say, how do I improve? And then I'm supposed to come out better and show everybody that I did better and then explain it to them. But that's not how it works. She says, when she does that work in community, when she is being seen while she's doing that work, it is infinitely more valuable and she improves 10,000 times more because she was vulnerable and she was seen and she showed up. The, the two big things that really like just resonated with me was we're being seen, which is quite literally just allowing people to see your faults, allowing people to see the vulnerability and allowing people to see the failure and showing up regardless of how you feel. She, she gets into the point, she says, show up angry, show up messy, show up sad. She's not saying show up with anger in a direction. She's saying show up when you're in a state. And, and it doesn't matter what that state is. Showing up is half of that battle. Being seen, well, not half, but like showing up is part of that battle. Being seen is part of it. And the rest of it is the work that you're putting in. And that really resonated with me and made me start asking, why are we afraid of doing that? Why are we afraid of being seen in community and showing up for ourselves regardless? You know? Yeah. I think that was a really <laughs> zing. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, and like, and it hit, like, yeah, that kind of stuff hits you, you know. And thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> thank her. Uh, send send her an email or a really nice review on her podcast. She deserves it, uh, especially for that episode because that was like the perfect thing to hear early on in 2021. Which, oh, by the way, uh, oh, hey, yesterday. Um, speaking of being seen, five months sober. Yeah, congrats. Yeah, which is like that's talk about work that you have to do in community. Like I I said when this when this part of my life journey started, this new chapter, I was like I have to be loud about this. Like I can't. I it, it was like it was and that, that's maybe that's where why I like it became so easy to think about vulnerability and failure is because I failed to have a healthy relationship with alcohol. And now for like if i'm going to be authentic i have to own that failure because so many people do have a healthy relationship with it and by being vulnerable you normalize the shame around it that a lot of people that hold a lot of people back from actually saying like oh yeah that's that's kind of a struggle too <laughs> it's tough man and like owning vulnerability owning failure is infinitely humbling because it it's not something that you do once it's something and it's and it's not it's not an active part of you either which i think a lot of people a lot of people take vulnerability and failure and they make it and once again i'm infinitely guilty of this i will make my failures part of who i am and i'll internalize them to the point where they're they become a weight but once you normalize it and you change your perspective on your own personal failure and you don't make it a part of you, you allow it to be part of your past, but something that has made you who you are, 
you you're able to move forward without the weight of it. It's more so it's just something that you're like, oh, yes, well, also I failed. Um, it was a very human thing of me to do. And here I am. And, uh, you know, if, if that changes your opinion of me, then I'm I'm sorry. But also uh, I'm not sorry because that's part of that's my that literally happened. I can't undo it. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. It's really powerful. So what did you learn from what did you learn from this journey? Um of failing really hard. Dude. And then so making much. it really public. <laughs> the the two things really that I learned were the, uh, the 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 biggest things that I learned were um <laughs> every everything that I've talked about. I learned that I can't I learned that self-work doesn't mean work alone. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Self-work doesn't mean work alone. Um, I learned that, uh, that if, if, uh, this is, this is really specific to me, but if, Perfect. if your if the thing that led up to your failure was something that was very visible and very loud, then the failure itself needs to be equally visible and equally loud. Um, Mm. and and you need to own that and you need to, you like, because, because everybody knew, like I, I've, I drank, not only did, not only did I drink, I I, I knew a lot about drinking, you know, I could taste something and tell you what cocktails to make with it, you know? And like, and I was very vocal. I had a lot of expertise, like banked into this facet of my life and I can't do it anymore. And, and so I have to take all of that conversation and then literally just put it to the side it's still there as a knowledge bank like i've given people advice on cocktails you know but like some of the people have asked me knowing not knowing that i i don't drink anymore and i have to then when they go oh well cool what are you making for cocktails i have to go well i don't do that anymore (laughs) like and and that's the equally loud part i have to have both of those conversations um and then the other thing that i learned was that We often don't think that humility will be answered with support. And it always is. It might not be... I think... Here's the best way I can put it. I've had to unlearn something that was instilled in me from sport that doesn't apply to life. And it's that you don't always get to win the way that you want and there is no such thing as perfect practice. You're constantly drilled with like these, these like I, my mind was shaped over the course of 10 years with like perfect practice makes perfect, you know, like I mean, listen to the words there. Like they're just, they're, they're indoctrinating and like, you know, um, uh, what is it? Pain is temporary. Pride is forever. Like all of these things that are just, they, they don't make you a good human in society necessarily. They're great in the practice room. And there are great things to like maybe think about to like motivate yourself a little bit, but I honestly think they could be phrased better. Um, I, I I think you know setbacks are setups for comebacks is much better than pain is temporary, pride is forever. You know, like that's it's a much it's a much more um, limited way to phrase that, and I've, I've had to unlearn a lot of that through this journey. And, and in a very quick, like, snap way. And that's what, you know, makes conversations like this just sort of naturally come out now. Super powerful. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Thank you, man. Um, I have other questions. 
on failure. What in in your own experience, you don't have to share a failure, but in your own experience, what is something that has held you back from discussing failure in the past? Not not, not in a general sense, but is, is there something specific? Is it the person that you were talking to? Is it the conversation that had to be had? Um, what, what is something that has prevented you from sharing a failure with another person and moving forward from that failure? Dude, the first word that comes up and just like is screaming in my head is shame. Shame, mm-hmm. shame, shame. Yeah. So the moment that you can own your failure and, and step up. Uh, uh, so this, the first part is owning it. And then the second part is like, okay, how is this, how is this going to be received when I'm actually bringing this failure to someone else and going, hey, maybe you could help. Mm. Um, so mm-hmm. at least that's been my experience. Um, so the first step yeah, just, just wrapping my head around it and going like, okay, yeah, that, that was a failure. That was a failure. And then getting over the fact that I'm not a failure, but what I did was a failure. Mm-hmm. And I can go to someone and not, um, and expect it to be received well. And, and therein lies an interesting thing. Who do you, who do you get vulnerable with? Because mm-hmm. this is not like, you're, the internet is not a therapy room. Um, <laughs> like, no, it's like the internet is a brutal place and yeah. some people will not treat you with compassion. Some people will, will shame you even harder. Um, it, it totally depends on the environment and totally depends on who you go speak to. So I think having people in your wheelhouse that you can go to and, and that they will be supportive, they will listen to you, they will make you feel heard and that maybe they won't even just go dump a lot of advice on you but they'll ask you something like so what did you learn from this for me the the biggest barrier is uh judgment and criticism Mm. and like i (laughs) i i think that i i think highly of myself um i don't struggle with like self-doubt which is a blessing uh i guess um but i think that hmm i don't know i've always in the last i i'll i'll estimate i'll say over the last 10 or 15 years uh that i've been like doing a lot of growing up as as we all have i've somehow like learned how to uh, kind of own my, you know, lack of understanding, or or own that you know I'm not the expert, and and not feel pressure to be the expert, but instead to ask questions and to be curious. Um, but if I feel pretty strongly about something, or I feel like uh, I'm ca- like I, if I estimate that I know more than I do, and somebody calls me out on it, uh, that that is. Uh, a pretty rattling uh, thing to happen to like to like my ego so I think the words that come to mind for me are are that are um, judgment and criticism I I'm always happy to you know to talk about my failures Um, more often than not their failure to uh, to listen or failure to be compassionate or failure to 
step outside of my own head and and like put other people first i can i i can be unknowingly selfish and uh focus so much on me and how i'm feeling and and whether or not i'm getting what i need instead of seeing other people struggling and uh so yeah well and it's it's a it's a tricky line to condition yourself to be okay with it too like it's a tightrope of of sorts in that you 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 want to like or at least you would hope that people would want to um get away from uh fearing that judgment and criticism which is in itself uh, a component of shame um but at the same time nailed it yeah at the same time you don't want to focus on failure and risk manifesting it right or 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 normalize it as something that just happens that you can't change because one of the lessons you're supposed to pick up from failure is like okay well what can i do in the future to change that outcome yeah you know and, and and that's I think I think some people are afraid that if you think about failure too much, you will manifest it. There are a lot of people who are really into manifestation, and they think that like even if they're not using that as the word, um, I think a lot of people are into like manifesting the lifestyle that they want. And that lifestyle, if we're all just trying to create our own lifestyle, it doesn't include shame. It doesn't include failure. You know, like the ultimate, the ideal, the euphoria of the perfect life for ourselves doesn't have any of these negative things that we have to deal with in order to. Have have those moments in our life that are euphoric that do feel like our perfect life you know yeah super powerful yeah that judgment and exactly what you said matt goes into what you said kev uh it's just your self-work is accelerated in community mm-hmm. and you need to be have the community to be able to go okay there's here's here's a place where i feel comfortable that mm-hmm. there's not going to be shame that there's not going to be harsh criticism and judgment so that I can unpack this and learn and move forward. So I can look at this and be vulnerable enough to look at this. And it's not comfortable to look at it. Like if you fail, mm-hmm. I, I mean, we could go into specifics, but yeah, no. And it's, and to, it's painful to look at it honestly. And, and to add on to that, Truth hurts, the, right? the criticism of having a safe space mm. almost stigmatizes it, right? There are a lot of people who mock the idea of having a space in which you can comfortably fail. Even you know why they click. mock it is because it They're sucks looking at it. failure. <laughs> it right. sucks looking at the truth sometimes. Exactly. And so instead of like going and saying, oh yeah, well like I unpack this stuff with my friends or community or a therapist or something like that, they'll, they'll just diss it because it's easier yeah. not to look at it. Yeah. And and we're, we're almost like, if from... From my experience, uh, there's almost there. There's a really strange, and um, there's a really strange and unexpected power involved in owning your failure, in in owning being in therapy, in owning alcoholism, in owning those things. There's a really strange. It's there's a really strange confidence that comes along with it. Um, and the best way that I can relate it, like to uh, you guys, know Childish Gambino, right? Mm-hmm. So at the end of his album, Camp, there's that big spoken word piece. Do you guys remember that? I'm unfamiliar. But. He ta- okay, there's a, there's a big spoken word piece. He talks about being on a bus, coming home from summer camp. Um, and uh, he, the, the, sh- the short story is that he tells this girl who he's been spending, he says, you know, I thought it was going to be me and a bunch of boys having summer camp, but it turns out it was just me and this one girl. That's you. And 
he says, so I told you how I felt as everyone else was falling asleep on the bus and then I fell asleep on the bus and I woke up and a bunch of people were making fun of me because you took the thing that I told you and you told everybody else and they used that as a weapon against me. And he goes, so I learned something from that. I learned that I should just tell everybody because everybody can't turn around and tell everybody. I already told everybody. Ooh. Which is like a huge thing to say. And this is like 2011 he's saying this. And then immediately going into his next album, Because the Internet, um, the the screenplay, the first line is, you can't live life on a bus. And at the end of camp, he says, the truth is, like, he's like, this isn't a story about how I got on the bus a boy and got off a man more cynical and whatever and some shit. This is a story about how I got on the bus and I never got off the bus. And then... It's because he hasn't processed that lesson yet. He hasn't really taken that failure and moved it forward and gotten off the bus. And so then the first line of the script that goes along with Because the Internet is, you can't live life on a bus. You can't be a passenger to your fear and your shame and your own self-judgment, your own self-criticism. You have to get off of that bus and because everyone else is going to get off too. He did it again, Dev. <laughs> he did it again. <laughs> incredible incredible so, somebody somebody get this man somebody get this man some water because he's on fire okay <laughs> so, like, so I, like i said i ca- i came ready to go and once again uh, thank you guys for for going with the thank you guys for showing up very unprepared and uh <laughs> yeah yeah no no, no. What is what is something that you think that you could apply to not not your everyday life, but what is what is a maybe a practice that you could apply to your life in what would be like a teachable moment for failure that would help to process it and move on from it in a more effective manner? Take your time. Can you restate that question one more time? What is something uh, what is a practice that you can put into your life? What is what is a, a practice that you could begin for yourself that would help in a moment of failure to process it and move forward more effectively? I got it. Leading with the assumption that you are wrong and trying to figure out how that could be. I could be wrong. And if we look at it like in, in science, it's praised. How many times did Edison make the... To, to that doesn't take to fail to make the light bulb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we hold that story up and we're like, "Wow, yeah, that's that's a feat of science." But we don't look at that in our own personal lives. Yeah, what I try to do. From, per, this is personal anecdote, but what I try to do when I am faced with, you know, faced with a challenge, whether it be with another person or, um, you know, in in my personal life. I'm seeing that I have created a problem. What I try, I think our knee-jerk reaction is to is to ask ourselves, no, no, no. How can I be right here? What what am I, what what am I uh, how, like? What story can I tell myself to get to the conclusion that I'm right? You have to flip that on its head and say, let me try to to walk that path. Assuming I'm wrong, how could I? How could the other person, or how could the failure be true or right? And all of a sudden, you start to open up those doors that you closed in your mind that that are pathways to you being wrong, right? Because generally, we're saying, "Oh, well, well, these facts lead me to believe that I'm correct," but we close the door on all the other facts or all the other concepts or feelings that would lead us to be the the 
the wrong, be in the wrong. Mm. Mm, that's powerful. I do that in my marriage all the time. If I'm in, if I'm in an argument with my wife, instead of asking myself, you know, <laughs> she's wrong, how can I be right? Let me let me go over all the things that I know that that make me right. I go, all right. I'm wrong. I start with the assumption that I'm wrong and I backtrack and I go, what did I do to, to, to create this? And I go, well, I haven't really been thinking about how you're feeling about this. And, you know, maybe I'm put being too harsh on you for X, Y, and Z. You start with the assumption you're wrong and you backtrack and you find that middle ground where I go, here's where I can be better, but I need you to do this as well for me. So, so you're, what you're talking about is, uh, is finding a moment of admission, which is vulnerability. So you're leading with vulnerability. Yes. You're assessing failure, right, with vulnerability, and then saying, I, I, I need you to reciprocate this to some degree. Yes, absolutely. If two people are in disagreement, right. If two people are in disagreement and, uh, and they both lead with, I'm right, that's how a disagreement never comes to any just, sort of a compromise. Doing this. Right. You're just doing this. Right? And that's the internet, rock right? Rock. At, scale, <laughs> at, scale, at scale, that's the internet, right? Is everybody going, this is right, and here's why, instead of going, I could be wrong, and here's, here's the why. website I looked up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Here's, here's the information I found that backs up what I'm saying, even if it's 4chan or QAnon or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, people just say they go look up the thing that backs up what they're saying rather than looking up what's opposite of what they're saying. And then you end up looking like an imbecile committing a federal offense, which is not where I want this conversation to go. But like that's that's also what brought this question about is like let's let's get real these people that stormed the capitol were backing up a person who they could not admit had failed mm. and that was huge to me to see the collective identity of refusal of failure march itself into the center of american government in almost like this piece of like presidential term poetic justice and like announce its presence and fail the, the like they they ran in with american flags and then attempted to walk out with historical american memorabilia and like the best thing that they could think to do was to fail harder because they couldn't own up to the fact that there was some sort of a failure. Like the like the the irony is so rich in someone going into like saying we need change and this was stolen and I'm offended and like I'm I'm a radical and then going into Capitol Hill and literally just sitting at a desk and pretending to get on a phone and taking a selfie with it because they they had reached this point where whatever like like everything was kind of driven from fear and not rage but it masked itself as rage and so when they got in there they didn't burn anything down they didn't like they like, you know like they they got in and then they just kind of like took pictures and and there was almost like this this point of phatic communication of like this i i am here I was here and this is how, and for some reason that's supposed to be also, I'm right. Like this refusal of failure. <laughs> I do want to say I, uh, I solicited information from the internet and this is my view and I could be wrong, but, uh, I 
I saw just I, I saw somebody turn a phrase that I thought was really funny, which was um, you see, and and I'm paraphrasing, but you see these people uh, marching toward Capitol Hill uh, with Blue Lives Matter flags, right? The thin blue line flag, and then directly aggressively. Uh, disobeying police officers, disrespecting them, hurting them, killing some. Mm-hmm. I think, right? I think a, I think a police officer died. Yeah. Um, whether it was directly or indirectly, if the point is disrespecting police, and what that tells all of us is that Blue Lives Matter was never a pro police organization; they were anti-black. Yes this whole time and we knew it <laughs> we knew it well, and, but. like uh, well and that's the part of this failure question that's cultural right how do we admit that cultural failure in an effective way because we did we failed as a culture we failed an entire race of people as a culture for centuries mm-hmm. and how do we ex- like and so really like when i when i get into asking this question personally and when i get into doing this personal work and saying like it's not personal work it's done in community like what i'm that that's that's the drop on the pond that resonates outward your individual drop resonates outward and if you're doing that work and if you're doing it you're being seen you're showing up it makes the rest of it easier for everyone because everyone goes oh that person admitted that they failed rather than rather than seeing the person who's arguing them from the other side just saying listen i could be wrong and but here's here's what i have and here's the work that i think that we need to do and here's the work that i'm doing because i wanted to be better i i think that's a better platform than here's where you're wrong <laughs> you know yeah. which is which comes from a place of shame and fear because you'd rather point out where someone else is wrong than point out where you're wrong and ask them to meet you I Which still is have, you do that in your marriage. Like you said, you point out, hey, here's where I'm wrong. I'm just asking you to meet me then. I can't tell you how many times I have <clears throat> in the middle of a fight been like, like still, like still mad, right? Still angry, still frustrated. Uh, but um, I've still admitted that like I'm being an asshole right now and I know it and I'm sorry and I'm trying to figure out how to how to handle the emotions that I have, how to communicate to you what I'm trying to say. I want you to know I'm sorry for being an asshole. In the middle of me still being mad, I try to catch myself being an asshole and 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 you know and sitting there, you know, with like a my my fucking fist clenched trying to be right when I know that I'm not always completely right. I know I'm being an asshole and I'm sorry about it and I'm working on it. What's for dinner? Can we just have dinner? (laughs) (laughs) What do we want to do now? (laughs) Uh, Quickly on the topic of, of admitting you're wrong um, in this context, I will say I I still heavily disrespect this person, uh, but Senator Lindsey Graham, who's one, who's been one of Trump's closest vocal allies, um, came out after the after the the marches and and said in some in some way that and again I'm paraphrasing enough is enough I've given this guy plenty of chances uh and it's over and he needs to step down that most republican senators not doing that they're you know they're not saying look 
I gave this guy a chance many, 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 many times. I was wrong. And today finally was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. I am completely disassociating and I'm, you know, and I'm sorry. And I made a mistake. Nobody can do that. Yep. I very few. Yeah. I, I, I talked with, uh, Bryce about this yesterday, actually. Um, mm. and Nikki, I can hear I can hear his wife Nikki in the background while we're talking about this and we're getting into it because you know how Bryce and I are like as soon I told him I was like I I should this is why I apologize because like I told Bryce I'm like I'm gonna come in with this curveball because I know this question is gonna be great for them and like I was like I was like what do you think about it and Bryce is like oh this is great and we started getting into the conversation and like talking about failure and then we talked about being seen specifically and Nikki actually pointed something out really uh, poignant in Bryce's life um which is his his relationship with his spirituality, because that's where this conversation stemmed from with someone who's talking about the spiritual community. Um, he has a very vulnerable and uh, humble relationship with God on his side, because he is constantly humbling himself and admitting his faults and his failures and using that as a version of practicing being seen and still showing up anyway and then he brings that into his life and that makes him a very authentic person who people see and they go i want to be like that and he makes other people's lives better not by being perfect he's not perfect and he's the first person to tell people that and this is like a gunnery sergeant for the marine corps who's standing up in front of his fellow marines who's standing up to in front of people who look up to him and he's putting that into practice. And that's like, that's probably one of the things that really like, you know, has crafted our friendship in a great way is that, you know, we talk about that and he, he processes that with me sometimes. And I process failure with him because we're putting it into practice. And I love hearing about when he does that, because what a great example he's setting for Marines. He's not saying we're here. So now you're part of the club and we're perfect. He's saying, Hey, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We're going to do what we can. Dev, is there is there anything in particular that this conversation has made you think of um, that you like any any tools that you've been able to institute that have like helped you or helped others when you've given them advice? Are we talking like high level or tactical? I, I'll let you pick either. Um, yeah, so I think I think I'll, I'll go high level first, and then I'll then I'll bring it down down to something that I thought it would be very relevant. Um, so high level, the the sooner that we can get clear, and the sooner that we can look at the failure and get real with ourselves and get honest and and be humble enough to look at the failure, mm. I think the sooner we can make progress. Mm. So I just have this belief, and I could be wrong. Uh, <laughs> Um, yes, uh, I really believe all progress begins with radical honesty. Yeah. So the sooner that we can get to honesty, the sooner that we can admit that we're wrong, the sooner that we can look at, you know, with that experimental mindset going like, well, well <laughs> that wasn't the recipe for success. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we need to modify to move forward? I think the sooner that we can, we can be humble enough to look at it clearly and not have all of this shame around, you know, I'm a failure because it was a failure, mm-hmm. the sooner we can make progress. So just getting really clear on that as quickly as possible. And I think going back to community and our self-work is accelerated in community. It's because we have this place where we can get to a place of honesty faster. Yeah. 
So that's kind of like the high level musings that I don't know if this makes sense, but some yeah. make some way makes sense in my head. Um, the practical tactical is when you were saying this is just having this, having more moments of reflection of, of in, intentional reflection. So not just like, um, rumination and self-flagellation, <laughs> not just think <laughs> past. And, and I gotta say snaps to Matt for not having any self-doubt issues. You know, that is one of my, my greatest yeah, challenges in life is, is self-doubt. And I'll just come out there and say it. Uh, right. Cause that's what the whole conversation is about. That's what but we're yeah, here that's like, for. That's one of my biggest challenges. Uh, you know, yeah, I won't, I won't go any further into that. Okay. So the practical tactical is I have, um, this little, I think I've talked to you guys about this before, but like little things that you can create space for to intentionally reflect. And there's a, there's an hour booked out every Sunday that says weekly review. And under that, it says, um, Without reflection, we we lose the lesson, and it's just this reminder to like, okay, consciously look at the past week. Um, I look at what went well. I look at what didn't go so well. I looked at where I was in integrity. I looked at where I wasn't in integrity, and maybe why. Um, and I just having some time where you can look at yourself honestly, honestly, because again, going full circle, I truly believe all progress begins with radical honesty. All, all right, right. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap Dev, it. What's your jam musically, man? What you got? Cool. Um, the strokes. I'm on a strokes kick. Okay. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, there's this one song, Trying Your Luck. It was just kind of Ooh. fun to pick it up on guitar, and that's what I've been jamming. Nice. Maddie, what you got? Um uh part of me feels bad because uh I'm not I'm not adding to the uh the ever expanding uh list of jams here because I'm actually gonna copy yours from last week, which is uh Phoebe Bridgers. You you were like, yeah, I've been, just been jamming to Phoebe Bridgers. And I'm like, I haven't heard her, you know, and I haven't checked out a, a recommendation from Kevin in a while. And my God, I love her. I've been jamming her nonstop this week. She is. I had a feeling uh, that, that, you know, like I said, there are some artists that I listen to. I'm like, this is a Matt artist. Like, <laughs> and it's not that I don't like them. I'm just like, this is for Matt. No. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a type for sure. Yeah. You know? Is and there Phoebe one Bridgers. song that sticks out? Uh yeah. I I love Kyoto. Uh Kyoto's great. I actually have Kyoto stuck in my head right now. Kyoto is great. And uh Garden Song. I love Garden Song. Oh my goodness. I've heard five seconds. This is so happy. Yeah. It's it's good stuff. It's really good, dude. She's great. You'll you'll love it. You're welcome. Um Thank you. Thank you in advance. <laughs> she's great, dude. She's she's on the up and up and like she came across my radar and end of 2020 and I was like, okay, I'll check her out and like I think she she did a remix of something with someone who I like mm. and I was just like, who's that? I was like, I know the name Phoebe, but I don't know Bridger. So like I'm like, what is this? So I checked her out and she's she's real cool. She's right up there. She's kind of in like this indie alternative pseudo folk r&b category that's been on the rise you know like joji yeah. has a lot of very folk classical instruments on his album nectar that's been really good to listen to um i'm actually going to be with Devin this week in the throwback zone um 
because the, the strokes like even if you're talking about a newer song they feel like a throwback artist right I sure. they are to, me. They're just they're just a feel good band. I mean, I, yeah. I just remember being in like sixth grade with a CD player, like sneaking it out in art class and being obsessed yeah. with everything the Strokes. So yeah, I, well, for me personally, I just love them. They're so good. Um, they're one of those bands that I could not hate on, even if I tried. Like I like I I don't have a criticism for them. There. They just they do their art and they do it well. Um, I actually so I went to the record store because my sister now has gotten into collecting vinyl mm. my mom and her significant other collect vinyl so everybody's collecting vinyl now and my whole thing is i just want to add to the collection um and so i got albums that i'm pretty sure none of them have heard that they'll love but the one that really stuck out to me that like it wasn't my initial pick as i was perusing the vinyl section was uh the white stripes greatest hits wow right like they're they're a band that like i was like i saw the photo i was like the white stripes and then i was like you know and immediately like icky thump started playing in my head Uh and dead leaves on the dirty ground and like you know like all those songs and i was just like i'm buying this album today (laughs) like this is this is going home so my jam this week is is definitely the white stripes i love it i love it thank you i can't believe they already are in the, the greatest hits phase Right. They, well, I mean, it, they like it, what we're like probably what a year away from the Rack and Tours having our greatest hits, right? <laughs> after after like a decade of music, you're allowed to do greatest hits. Like you're, you, you've essentially had at least at least a career, if not just half of your career. So guys, get this. Have you heard of Cameo? Oh, I love Cameo. Uh, the Cameo, the website. Oh, uh, I was like. Okay, so I feel like, I I feel like so. we're almost at the stage where you're going to be able to go onto Cameo and have white or the White Stripes like shout out something. But basically, I was joking around with my sister because yesterday we hopped on there and we realized you could get uh, one of the guys from the Ramones to basically Cameo is, is where you hire someone where you could go, hey, Matt, happy birthday. This is you, Johnny Ramone. Uh, just wanted to say happy birthday oh, <laughs> to the wow. Coffee Collective or like happy five months sober, Kevin. Um, <laughs> the actor or something like that, but we were just joking that like uh, the moment that your your manager comes to you and is like, okay, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna create a cameo account, you know, your career is over. Oh yeah, you're well, on the or, down. Or at least, or it's or peak. it's peak. Maybe it's not. not yeah, maybe now that your career is over, but you're you're allowed to just ride that wave at that point. You have enough notoriety that you can just ride the wave of people going, "Oh, I want him to do this." <laughs> like it's like that's it's it. like you can go on there and get iced tea to shout you out for one minute. It costs a four four hundred and fifty bucks <laughs> for a minute. For one minute, you get a full minute of iced tea. Maybe even more because he has to probably Dude. prep a little. So I'd say about five minutes of iced tea's time. 450 bucks great deal <laughs> totally not in a dark way at all i'm i'm pre-booking someone on cameo for my funeral like i just i want like speakers <laughs> and i want like i want i want like a like i want ice tea showed up in was a great man to come, yeah like i want i want ice tea to come on and be like <laughs> yeah right <laughs> right this untimely death <laughs> like just like <laughs> stop, stop. we mourn kevin minor like just ice tea <laughs> anyway, uh, all right dude you guys actually one more oh what is want. it yeah so this is something that i i, I have not like shazammed a song in a while 
Mm-hmm. And this is something that just felt cool. It was just a vibe that I haven't heard in a while. Um, so I've never tried to say this, but the artist is B-B-D-O-B. It is B-E-A-B-A-D-O-O-B-E-E. And the song is She Plays Bass. Okay. Okay. And it was just like, it's just Wait. cool. It's, just, is, it's called She good. Plays Bass? She plays bass. Is it a bass heavy song? It better be. I'm going to leave that for you to find out yourself. <laughs> okay. Because I feel like Biba Doobie is actually an onomatopoeia, an onomatopoeia for what the sound that a bass can make. It is. Wow. Yeah. Biba Doobie. Anyway. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I, oh, yeah. I, that was good catching up, guys. I, I just want to say, Devin, this is. Uh, I know, I know. We're 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 trying to we're trying to end this. Um, but it just reminded me of, uh, it, like when you said Shazam a song. I, I have a Devin story, which is um, Devin. I took a ride with Devin to I don't remember where we went. Maybe New Paltz, Devin, to pick up your uh your um your Epiphone um your semi hollow. What is that? What is that? The the Schechter or Sh- yeah the Sheraton. Sheraton. Yeah, we went to um we went to Minnewaska. Minnewaska yeah. State Park. So when we were we were like in the town and we were like, you know, look, we went to a coffee shop. We were just kind of like exploring and we found a record store and we walked into the record store and we're walking around and there's this really great jazz playing on the overhead. And I walked up to the owner of the, the shop and I said, what is this? And he's like, oh, that's um, that's the David Brubeck Quartet. And I was like, do you have it on vinyl anywhere in this shop? He's like, oh, yeah. And I picked up my favorite David Brubeck Quartet that's uh, Jazz Impressions of Japan on vinyl. Mm. And Dude, we've got to reach out to Jane Az. I think we all had a relationship with Jane Az growing up, right? We did, yes. Kevin, did you? Did you go over to Nazarenko? Yeah. No, I did oh, not. Okay. No, I, I went to, so we, when we were recording for Curse of Mariner, we went to Pete Cobra. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Who's anyways? Actually- fun fact: Jane has did Dave Brubeck's last big recording. What? Uh, yeah. What? Are you kidding? I mean, I could be wrong. I could, <laughs> That's I could be wrong. Wow. Can that is that the title of this episode? I could be wrong. <laughs> it could be great. Yeah. I think so. All right. Sweet. <laughs> I love. Hey, I mean, we can, we can wrap up the podcast, but like anything else, you guys want to just chat about? We talked some really high level stuff. We did. <laughs> we I still did. have no idea what's going on in either of your lives.